0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do
3: is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening.
4: Hey, everybody, welcome to Football Full Circle. This hour, we're talking college football. We bring in our college football expert, co-host of College Football Today during the regular season. That's Joe Lisi. What's going on, Joe? Oh, nothing,
2: Mike. Just getting ready here. I'm uh, enjoying the beautiful weather. You know, college and pro football news uh, in, in the media right now, but we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. But I'm, I'm really antsy to get the 2020 season Kicked off on time in late August.
4: You and me both. Uh, George and I have some reservations as as to how well this is all going to work. But uh, you can find Joe on Twitter at Go for the Two. Uh, George is at George Kurtz. I'm at Mike Blewett. If you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, same for Joe on Instagram at Go for the Two. So um, first story has uh, happened a lot recently with certain coaches and uh, others getting in trouble for past actions and. West Virginia was the subject of some controversy this week, Joe, and it appears that star safety Kerry Martin had some things to say about defensive coordinator Vic Koenig's uh, treatment of him. So he, had to come, he came out with an apology. He is on leave of absence now, and they were reviewing, they were investigating what exactly it is that happened, actions, words, and everything else, and he said... Uh, I respect Kerry Martin's right to share some of my words and actions that impacted him. I care deeply for KJ, and when given the opportunity to speak to him directly, I'm optimistic we can find common ground. In the interim, I want to offer my sincere apology to both KJ and the entire WVU family. The apology continues on for quite a while, but here it is. Another instance we see of a player feeling empowered to be able to stand up to somebody that he felt was bullying him, mistreating him, and the like.
2: Yeah, we have an opportunity where a player took accountability and and wanted to step up to voice his opinion. And, and I credited him for doing that. We saw the, re, the situation with Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy. We saw the situation play out in Iowa. Now it's playing out in West Virginia, and I'm sure it's going to play out in a couple other programs as well. College football and football in general is just a heated type of sport. It's built on physicality and coaches sometimes – lose track of where they are and it's unfortunate but you can't disrespect a player can't call them out in that regard there's a way to do it and a way not to do it and it's unfortunate for neil brown and the staff but they're dealing with this right now hopefully they get it taken care of and they can rally around their team because this was a team that was really decimated last year five and seven overall not one of the best or the more prolific offenses in college football last year, ranked 128th out of 130 teams at FBS. We'll see if they can turn it, up, turn it
4: around, but they're clearly in a rebuilding stage under Neil Brown. So, George, I would just ask you a general question. This this follows the same pattern we've seen a lot of this stuff lately. Coach doesn't say anything. Maybe he's sitting on what he thinks is a time bomb. Personally, player finally comes out, says something about uh, the treatment. Coach has a written statement, apologizes, declares he's against social injustice and and for reform, and um, rinse, wash, and repeat. It starts to feel old hat, checking boxes, as you said in the past, but this is the cycle that we find ourselves in when there is a controversy of this nature.
5: Yeah, you know how I feel about this. If If it's after the fact, it's pretty much like you're checking boxes, it's it's all the you know pretty much the playbook. Okay, I got caught. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Blah blah blah. I don't care. I don't care what you have to say. I'm, I'm not even sure if you're the one writing this, so I really don't care at all about this. It's the PR person writing it. Uh, but I got a question actually for both of you guys. Either one of these. Yeah. Um, do you think because of what's going on now that we're going to see a changing coaching philosophy, like almost throughout sports, but specifically football, because football is where you really get more of with drill sergeants. Is that going to go away now? You're not going to be able to scream and yell at players? I'm, I'm, I'm not talking racist things. You should never be able to scream and yell that. But is that just going? You can't call players anything. You know, uh, Bill, uh, didn't, who got in trouble? It was Bill Parcells for calling uh, Terry Glenn Mary back in the day? Uh, is all that stuff going away? Are we too politically correct now? I mean, uh, are, are those kind of coaches going away? You're not going to see the Vince Lombardi, the Tom Langes, the Taskmasters, Mike Keenan in hockey? Not going to happen. Are we going to a nice, softer, gentler coach? Joe, you first. Yeah, I think
2: you've seen it in a a progression of a couple of sports. Look at the Yankees, right? That's why they got Aaron Boone. I mean, wasn't it? Because they didn't like Joe Girardi's type of coaching mentality. He didn't relate to the players. So we saw it on the professional level. We're starting to see it on the collegiate level. I think the college game is different from the professional aspect in the sense that these coaches go into players' homes. They build trust not just with the player, but with the player's family. So then when you take them out of that element and they're between the white lines on the coaching field, the player's looking up to them to a way. Now, they want to be coached up in a particular way, and I understand overcoming adversity and getting through maybe certain types of plateaus, but there's a way to do it and a way not. I think this is the new realm of coaching, it's going to be more of a laid-back type of approach. But in the game atmosphere, I don't think you'll take that away because it's in the heat of battle.
4: Yeah, I, I, it is. It's a good question, and a fair question, George. I, I guess you know, for people out there watching at home, I'm sure they've had bosses that w- mistreated them and bullied them in a in a corporate setting. And for those of us that played youth sports, football in particular, there's a certain way that we were taught, right? And it was very much break you down and build you back up. Not a lot of questioning of coaches. It wasn't a collaborative effort. It was just do what we tell you to do. I do find, I guess it's just because of how I grew up, I do find it hard to envision a place where it is sort of this collaborative effort and positional coaches not screaming at linemen when they screw up, not screaming at linebackers if he's a positional coach. like That's just sort of the way I, I think they communicate. I can't see it changing wholesale, although I do think progress can be made. What, what I think could help that along, forgive me for the filibuster here, is that there are a lot of coaches that are embracing schematic advantage, and using statistics in a way that it is a more analytical um, thinking man's game than it would be brute physicality, like a Lombardi would try to drill the Packers into just doing repetition. I think you're seeing through passing offenses, offensive coordinator type coaches like Lincoln Riley, perhaps working with the 18, 19 year old to try to make sure that they are crisp uh, precision Athletes, as opposed to trying to win with brute force. That makes sense, George?
5: Yeah, I think we'll see coaches that judge a lot of the games. And once again, all sports is analytics nowadays. You're playing the numbers, you're going by that. Uh, and you're, uh, one thing that every coach has to be able to handle now, which is another Joe Girardi problem, is the media. Because so I think the media right now is going to be, you know, sort of zeroed in on this of how these coaches are treating their players. They're, gonna, they're looking for the story. And yeah. right now, that is the story in all sports, how these coaches are treating their players.
4: I think, Joe, I, in my estimation, I think some college coaches resent the fact that they are seen as bullies. You see the some way somebody like Saban acts on the sidelines. Jim McElwain got in tons of trouble for that. He found himself basically out of a job. Brian Kelly got in trouble doing this in the past or just berating players on the sidelines. I think coaches, uh, and you could tell, you would know better than me, resent the fact that they are seen that way when they are, in fact, recruiting players, going into their homes, taking them on campus, trying to look after them as best they can. We all know it's about wins and losses. I'm not being hypocritical here, but I think some players feel like they do care for the players in a fatherly-type fashion, and people shouldn't be telling them how to watch their players.
2: Exactly. And I think it comes down to the players being able to relate to the head coach. And that's why you see younger head coaches in college like Lincoln Riley like uh, some of the other coaches in the Big 12, like Matt Campbell for Iowa State, uh, coach up their programs, right? And we've seen it in the NFL now. Sean McVay with the L.A. Rams, he took that team to the Super Bowl, a younger type of team, so those players can relate to a head coach. I think it goes back to this, though, as well. You look at the college game, two head coaches that were probably just as hard on any of their players but probably don't get as much Uh, criticism from the media, Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, right? Why? Because all they do is win national championships. Mm. So when you win, the media is not as critical on terms of how hard you are on your players as opposed to maybe a mediocre, middle-of-the-road type of program where you're struggling to gain respectability. That becomes the front and uh, center
4: story for much of the media
2: when they zero in on these type of situations.
4: Look, I don't think Ed Orgeron is – running therapy sessions with his team every day i don't i don't think you have to be a psychologist but i do think that considering the manner in which you are spending players in college the the time in their life that you're spending with them i do think that having open dialogue about some issues is important again you don't have to be the therapist you don't have to bog down and waste time but hell even during the off season if you you don't have to be coaching them just having a conversation about these types of issues you know it takes it takes a a complaint on Twitter and an apology and a PR team to get involved for somebody to express their feelings on on these issues just talk to the kids they're, they're you're living right near them well, let me just bring up this point. We're, I mean,
2: we're all fathers, right? We, and that's why we relate to younger younger kids, right? You would think that coaches would, would take the same type of approach with their team. I mean, most of them are fathers. Most of them are, are married individuals, right, for the most part. And, and when you have a program that's, let's say, struggling or, or struggling from a psychological effect, the last thing you want to do is berate your team. You want to bring your team together. You want to say, sit them down and say, okay, these are the issues before us. How do we address them? How do we come together? And more importantly, how can we build moving forward to not only build trust but win football games?
4: George, do you see it happening? Do you see things changing in the matter that we've talked about? Do you disagree well, with that? anyway? I, th-
5: I think coaching nowadays may be harder than at any point uh, and then the history of the game. Not so much for what's happening today, but it's what did Joe just say? We're all fathers here, right? Yeah. And I'm sure we all have three different parenting styles. But I know in my own family, I am far from a disciplinarian, but I believe in keeping my kids in control. But we all know that there are kids out there, I understand it's a younger age now, but who run wild. I yeah. have a nephew who's never disciplined. And he's a, when he comes here, he's afraid of me because I'll yell at him if he does anything. But if, they're never, if these kids are never disciplined as they get older and older, why do they listen to a coach all of a sudden? You know, if you weren't listening to mom and dad, you know, mom and dad never could, never bothered with you to discipline you and punish you and whatever else. take this away. Then you become used to getting everything you want. And now all of a sudden a coach is going to scream and yell at you. It's yeah. like it's hard to grip, harder for them to, uh, I guess, fathom or get get into their head that that's, this is OK or how it should be done.
4: Well, I would say in the past there was a limited number of players that could claim to be famous in high school. Right. They could be the big man on campus. But. With the rise of social media, Joe, people get famous before it's deserved.
2: Kids are getting offers, right, uh, in grade school. You know, right then and there, they're put on the map and they're put in the public eye. So I agree with George. I agree with that statement 100%. Yeah,
4: they got 100,000 Instagram followers before they show up on campus. So I I think it creates a a difficult dynamic, no matter who the kid is. Uh, So. We'll come back. We'll talk a few more stories in college football after this on the grid. It's Mike, Joe, and George on FFC.
1: Sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
6: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like ah, being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb.
4: At SportsGrid, follow us on Instagram at SportsGridTV. Mike, Joe, and George is kicking around here on college football. A couple of stories here on some uh, wide receivers here. Uh, University of Miami, set to be a uh, redshirt junior, I believe, Joe, Uh, Devon Donaldson. After talking to family, see his tweet right here, after talking to family and the coaching staff, I decided to redshirt and focus on me for this season. This is really related to the fact that he suffered a knee injury at the end of the campaign. Because of coronavirus shutting down facilities, it made rehab for him particularly difficult, as was the case for other players around the country. So this is yet another casualty of this coronavirus epidemic in terms of how it's impacting sports. I think there are players out there in college, and we already know it's happening in the pros, and George and I talked about it in the previous hour. Like Baseball, I don't think we've even seen the tip of the iceberg with baseball stuff and players opting out, but this type of approach that, look, I'm not healthy because of the coronavirus creating complications in my offseason, I'm going to opt out this season, and I'll come back next year when I'm good to go. Now, some players may never play college again. They may opt out and say, "You know what? I'm three years out of high school. Peace out."
2: Yeah, I think when you look at Donaldson as a whole, he's making a right choice. He's coming off an injury, and and. It's important to recognize that college players need structure uh, more than the pros. You know, they're not not used to -to day-to-day type of things. They have academic schedules. They need to uh, play out their their schedules on both athletics and academics. So without the spring camp, without the ability to rehab, and with the uncertainty of the season in doubt, we still don't know for sure if we're going to kick this thing off or not in late August. He's making a choice that he feels is in his best interest. And right now, we're going to see more and more players do that, Mike, with the opportunity to redshirt. And we see players entering the transfer portal now. I mean, it's already the end of June. I mean, he has to worry about himself. And next year, he'll probably be better off and have the opportunity to to, compete at 100%. And I can't argue that point.
4: Plus, so, George, I'll throw another thing out there what if we get into this season as you and i suspect there's an issue with uh you know this team's offensive linemen all got sick they have to quarantine we can't play next week we can't play for two weeks we got to postpone or cancel these two games in college it's less likely um frankly highly unlikely that they're going to attack games on to the end of the season they don't have room bowl games coming up conference championship games they don't have the flexibility that the nfl has who frankly will barrel through whatever they feel like barreling through but um If you're a team and you're a a draftable player or maybe you're only three games into the season, you haven't accrued a full year yet. And then you realize, you know what, we're not going to play for another two weeks here. This is going to screw me up. This is going to screw up my draft process. This is going to screw up my playing time. I'm done for the year. You think players walk away mid-year because of the complications caused by – cancellation or suspension of games
5: yes what's we've sort of seen this in college football over the past couple of years anyway when in regards to injury bosa right he said oh i'm done i'm not coming back i think you could see that more this year especially when guys get injured so they sort of have that ready-made excuse either they could come back in two weeks whatever situations around what you said and they already have the injury why are you rushing back i mean it makes very little sense but it's also why i keep bringing up though Who's looking out for these players? Who's advising these players? Is it going to be their parents, you know, a trusted family member telling them? You know, technically they can't have agents. I know there's a lot of things probably going on on the side there. But who's looking out for these players to tell them, listen, it's in your best interest not to go back and play the last four games, five games. Not going to help you in your future. You might get hurt. You might get COVID. You might get this. You might get that. Your team is banged down. You lost three offensive linemen. Why are you coming back? You might have bad games, you know, because you lost three offensive linemen. They're going to kill kill you at running back now. They're going to play to stop you. I, I can see one of a number of circumstances here. So, yeah, I, I think it'd be silly to say we're not going to have more. Maybe it won't be as drastic as some of us believe, but I think there will be more than what we've been accustomed to.
4: Joe, do you agree with George? Do you think these guys can walk away midseason?
5: They can. I mean, last um,
2: poll that was taken for college players, they polled, I believe it was 75 players. said that they would still move forward in terms of the COVID situation, injuries, you know, and and play this season no matter what. So that's still a pretty good percentage uh, of college players moving forward. It's a small pool in terms of less than 100. But I think we'll see more of it in terms of players that are on the fringe. I I think the players that, like Justin Fields, like Trevor Lawrence, and we discussed this before, I think they're more apt to, to really move forward with the season because, They have their eye on the prize. You know, they're competitors. They see that they want to win an MVP or a Heisman Trophy. They want to win a national championship, and they want to be a top-five pick in the NFL. And in order to do that, you need to solidify that on on the football field. And with this season, as long as it plays, these players, I think, will move forward and compete for their uh, teams in 2020.
4: But I keep thinking of situations like what happened with Kelly Bryan at Clemson or what happened with D'Eric King at Houston, <clears throat> where they realized a certain percent, a small percentage into that given season that they're like, Kelly Bryan's like, I just got benched. And they're, this guy's never going to give up this job. And D'Eric King's like, you know what? Houston isn't where it's at for me. I'm not going to get the – I'm not on the same page with Holgerson. I'm not going to get the – Publicity I need to be a potential star at this level to maybe be a first day draft pick or, you know, top two round draft pick, whatever it is. And then they bail after three or four games and they're like, they're out. I'm out. I can see that's going to be a continued trend. But I wonder if that gets exacerbated here because of cancellations, uh, My all my offensive linemen got sick, the quarterback room's quarantined, I've only played three games, I can't play for another two weeks, my season's screwed up, I'm out. I'm entering the transfer portal or I'm gone, it's my, I'm three years out of high school, I'm going pro. I I, I could just see that happening. It's not necessarily for Fields or Lawrence, but other guys that are maybe still uh, real professional assets saying, you know what, it's, it's not worth it. Where is
5: the, where is the uh, you know, I have nothing to gain anymore. You know, I actually I actually think the great players, the Trevor Lawrence Fields, that know they're going top five anyway. I think they're more likely to say, Okay, I'm done. No reason my receivers are all hurt. What am I doing here? I can't hurt I can't help myself anymore. Right. I think it's the players in the middle that'll stay because they need to build up their draft stock. You know, those maybe even second and third day players trying to get from the fourth round to the third round. <laughs> uh guys or- like that that I'm more likely to stay. If you're a bottom player, you're not going anywhere anyway, right? This is just you're just playing. Yeah, you're football. just trying
4: to graduate. Yeah.
5: Right. You're gonna graduate, so there's no reason for you to play and risk your health here. If you're a top player. You already know. If you have nothing when when is that? I have nothing to gain. Moment is it game five, game seven when things start to go wrong for a team because of COVID? Guys get sick, or certain positions just got crushed. You know that's what's curious to me. But one thing that always rattles in my head, if you're if you're playing sports, you're playing a game. You want to play. You always want to play. I mean, I am remember. Even guys like us, where we played, uh, I've played men's leagues before, and I played, uh, I played uh, times where I played the night I buried my father. The other day, I still played a hockey game that night. I wanted to play, you know. So I, I get that too, and a lot of people are going to be. The games like that. are the fun. That's it. Is All the, the other fun stuff part.
4: is nonsense. The games are the fun. It's the practice
2: part that sucks. Yeah, yeah.
4: Right. Uh, go ahead, Joe.
2: No, I was just gonna say that's why you, you practice in the offseason for the games, right? So the blood, sweat, and tears in, in March, April, and May are why you want to compete in September through January. So we'll we'll see. I mean, the fringe players, I agree with you, but the two people that you mentioned, the King and Kelly Bryant, they were on the fringe. They were They were elite talents in their own respective uh, teams and organizations, but they weren't top 10 solidified picks in the NFL draft, and that's right. why they decided to jump.
4: Well, hell, Derrick King's now a top three Heisman t- trophy. On paper. Uh, on paper, that's right, on paper. That's important. Well, let's go to a different school real quick. It's just a story uh, quick about uh, Nico Collins and his ability, Joe... He's 6'4", 222. He was uh, 37 catches, 729 yards, seven touchdowns last year. He had Donovan Peoples-Jones, his former teammate, drafted late in the NFL draft by the Browns. Tariq Black, his former teammate, is no longer on the roster. He goes to Texas. With that 6'4", 222 size, is he the type of guy, for accolades, whatever. We don't know where Michigan's going to be in relation to Ohio State, and Ohio State's always got four receivers it feels like ready to get drafted but is he the type of guy that can be a real standout at Michigan and perhaps at the next level he
2: is I mean he is an athletic wide receiver catches the football at its highest point he's a big body and he makes big plays for the Michigan Wolverines the problem with Michigan is this they're they're still not a consistent offense they're an offense that needs to have success running the football does that change this year in the system? Because last year with Josh Gattis at the helm, they were a very predictable offense. Run on first down, run on second down, play action on third down. They struggled when they fell behind and had a pass to come from behind to win ball games, And that's not the M.O. under Jim Harbaugh. Does that change all of a sudden a 360 with Dylan McCaffrey at the helm? I'm not so sure. And Now, take away Donovan Peoples Jones, take away Tariq. Their whole offensive line got drafted. Exactly. So now that's more pressure on not only the offensive line but the quarterback position, and more importantly, Gaddis to to come up with a game plan each and every week. I, again, he's a legitimate playmaker. He's not an elite wide receiver like like a, 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 Wiggins, a Higgins, a T. Higgins, or Jamar Chase or or Justin Jefferson. In my opinion. But he is a, a player that can play on the next level. We'll see what he does in 2020 with a new quarterback and a new scheme.
5: You know, I like when he ask this. When it comes to somebody, uh, any, really anybody of this size, 6'4", 222, in his NFL futures, can Nico Collins be more than a red zone threat in the NFL?
2: He can. I mean, but Kelvin Benjamin was the same type of player, wasn't he? I mean, and to really didn't give up.
4: I mean, he, he got fat. Yeah, but David, you
2: could, you could you could look at it all. Oh, you know, DK Metcalf as well is that same type of yes. player, in, in, right? And and in, in that, David Boston was that same type of player. Flip a coin. We don't know what we're getting with Nico Collins. The consistency hasn't been there. I mean, you could say that he played in an inept offense at the next level in the right scheme, he could just burst onto the scene. But I'm not ready to make that assessment right here, right now. I think there's some other wide receivers I like better than Nico Collins heading into the 2020 His,
4: his ex-teammate frustrated a lot of people because Peoples-Jones was a specimen. He blew up at the combine again, and still he was only a seventh-round draft pick. Just really no consistency uh, performing in the Michigan offense. Some of it is on him personally. Some of it was on the offense. But uh, maybe Nico Collins is a guy that uh, can be a, a high draft pick. Uh, with that kind of size, there's, there's a chance there. But as you said, they've lost a lot of pieces. It's not just about... Well, it's Michigan, and they, they rolled back out there. The offense has struggled, and they lost all these pieces. So we're going to come back. We've got some other topics on tap for the next segment of Football Full Circle. will be right back with the co-host of College Football today, Joe Lisi, and myself and George Kurtz. after this.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
6: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like ah, being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb
3: Sports Grid. Get on the grid.
4: Back on football, full circle. Follow us at, everywhere at Sports grid on Twitter at SportsGridTV TV on Instagram. So, uh, next story, uh, switching over to the NFL. Browns coach uh, Kevin Stefanski. This is according to Jake Trotter uh, on Odell Beckham's off, uh, coming off the surgery. Said he's free and clear, he's 100% and looking really good. It continues, uh, according to Roto World, that he's Stevansky has also said that Jarvis Landry, coming returning from hip surgery, has looked great, but remains on a, quote, different recovery program. Uh, Beckham played through multiple injuries last year, should be healed and available for the start of training camp on July 28th. Prioritizing the 27-year-old's explosiveness will be key for the Browns' hunt in the AFC North this season. So throw it to you first, George. Um, Odell did have a down year last year, but I think a lot of uh, optimistic Odell Beckham fans and Browns fans would say, if he can put up numbers like that in a down year, what's it going to look like if he and Baker and Stefanski are all on the same page?
5: Well, it's a lot of ifs, right? A lot of ifs there. Uh, Yeah, I'm not so much worried about Beckham as I am. Can Mayfield make make that adjustment? Theoretically, the offense should work great. You've got a strong running game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. We had this discussion last week. Might be the best one-two punch in the league. You know, name me another duo that's better than these two. So the passing game should succeed. I mean, it should succeed because you can't just uh, gear up to stop Odell Beckham. It should do well here. Uh, what he had? 74 catches for 1,035 1, yards last year.
4: Played he in has, all 16 games.
5: Played in all 16 games, but they're saying he played her through, if not all the year, most of the year. I
4: game. give him credit for that, though. Be- Beckham gets a lot of, a lot of crap from a lot of people, and he shouldn't be saying a lot of the things that he well says, deserved, but yeah. he, he did he did gut it out at least when he was hurt.
5: Uh, but a lot of players have to gut it out when they're hurt. Uh, yeah. He only had, uh, what, 13 touchdowns over the past three years. Listen, I don't think he's going to set records here. I mean, if we're talking fantasy-wise here, I still think he's, he's not a top 10. He's just outside of a top 15, or, no worse than a top wide receiver too. I think he's going to do better. 74 catches is still an awful lot of catches. Maybe he can reach the 80 mark. He's not going to do 100. I don't see that. But I could see the yardage being significantly higher, 1,200, 1,250, with maybe six, seven touchdowns. So I don't see a monster yet because I don't think that offense is going to be built around purely him. Now I'll feel differently if you're going to tell me that Jarvis Landry's not going to be ready for the start of the season.
4: Yeah, Landry was 83 catches for 1174 last year and six touchdowns. So sort of a tick over where Odell was at. Um, coming off hip surgery, I haven't heard one report yet on Landry that makes me think he's going to be there on time to play week one.
2: Well, hip surgery, I can tell you from this, from knowing people that have had it, no matter how uh, you know small it might be, it is a very painful type of operation. And when you cut and run routes off of that, it's going to take a while to rehab. So I would keep an eye on that in terms of his progression and, and rehabilitation, but I wouldn't expect him to be on time. But just looking at the Browns as a whole, I'll piggyback off of what George said. On paper, this team looked like they were explosive, and I agree from a running back perspective, Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt, not only the best running back in terms of pounding the football between the tackles, but how about catching the football in the short to intermediate passing game? And yeah. when then you throw in Jarvis Landry, you throw in Odell Beckham, The problem with Cleveland was turnovers and the inconsistency. They didn't know their identity from the start of the year. I mean, they showed glimpses of moving the football against one of the top or the best teams defensively in the league. They moved the football against Denver, couldn't punch it in. They moved it against Seattle. They knocked off Baltimore. I mean, they moved the football when they could, but it wasn't consistent enough week to week, and turnovers killed them. But that also falls on the quarterback, Baker Mayfield. He needs to grow up. He needs to understand that he is the future and take hold of this team. They go, in terms of success, based off of Baker Mayfield's performance.
4: I think think the offensive line was a disaster last year and put Baker in a lot of bad spots. I I think you're right. Some of the accountability has to go with him. And I think it was compounded by the fact that they had a head coach that wasn't really a head coach. I thought the combination of not getting protection in the passing game, <clears throat> having a coach that had lost the locker room, I would say early. George, that locker room was done early. We were we were on the Freddie Kitchens job hunt halfway through last season. That it wasn't working out. Revol- players are revolting. Odell is saying, "Come get me." Looks like uh, everybody wanted to be traded. But reality is, <clears throat> they have fixed a couple of issues with the offensive line, signing Jack Conklin, drafting Jedrick Wills, and then they have a new head coach. There's a lot of pressure on Stefanski, but I'd rather have Stefanski in year one than Freddie Kitchens in year two.
5: Oh, no argument there. I'm right there with you. I mean, listen, they can only get better. They really can only get better. Things can't go much worse than they all were last year. Uh, let's hope that uh, Beckham uh, can stay healthy. Hope Landry comes back. I'm, I'm thinking October is really what I consider when Landry comes back there. Uh, and the offense will be fine. I don't think the offense is going to be a problem, assuming Mayfield can get his ego in check. That's always the issue. Listen, every NFL team, we're always going to talk about the quarterback. That really decides you're, whether they're going to be good or not. All right? Now, I think Mayfield, I don't think he's going to be a superstar ever, but I think he can be a legitimate NFL starting quarterback and a, at least a consistent one eventually. Maybe Stefanski will get him in line. And I think Stefanski will. Like I said, it, it can't be any worse than Kitchens. And this Stefanski is the guy they wanted the year before, but they just went in a different direction. So they're getting their guy. So uh, the officer line, I agree with you, it has to play better. Jedrick Willis, we'll see what how he does his first year. Not easy playing left tackle. Uh, and the defense, I think the defense, what's on paper, this is a playoff team. This is absolutely a playoff team on paper. Unfortunately, they play in a tough division. Outside of Cincinnati, good luck with Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I don't know if you're with them yet. You know, I think that's yeah. the issue there. You may be the second or third wild card team, which is. You know, listen. For Cleveland, that's the Super Bowl team. Just think, like the playoffs would be the Super Bowl for Cleveland, yeah. and I do think this is the year they finally get in.
4: I, I sort of like their chances. I, w- I want to go through it a couple more times before I, I lock them in. But yeah. <laughs> but
5: it's I only because who right. else Who else is going to get in? I can't find another team with this I'm extra with you, wild card. Who else gets in?
4: Yeah, yeah. Miami, so, baby.
5: No, we have them. I in wouldn't the mix. be shocked. I <laughs> wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't. Because I think that division's iffy.
4: Yeah. All right, so one thing I would say, last things I'll say in the Browns, one, I think the way they run the organization is absolutely suboptimal to terrible. And I would never keep rotating the GM coaching combinations like they have. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. But you know what? I would have done what they just did because the coach, the GM picked a coach that wasn't ready for the job and it screwed up a team that was put together to potentially make the playoffs and wasted a year of Baker on a rookie contract, who the only thing you have to believe in Cleveland is that Baker is the real deal. That's That has to be true, or you might as well blow it up and start all over again. So that's one. Two is, second. that's me, my diatribe. Second thing is a question. I'm going to go to you, Joe Lisi, first. Some might say regarding Odell Beckham that... Even at 27 years old, because of a broken leg, because of some of the injuries he dealt with last year and the years prior, he's came into the league injured, that his best days are behind him. Do you believe that?
2: No. I, I think he's a legitimate top three wide receiver. And if, if, I, if I was a GM, I'd take Odell Beckham tomorrow. Uh, I mean, the off-the-field issues, the outspoken stuff that he's done, the watch, I don't care. I've watched Odell Beckham from his days in Baton Rouge. He's a big play talent. He's one of the most conditioned, best-trained athletes in the NFL. And to play hurt last year for 16 games and still be a 1,000-yard receiver, I'll take Odell Beckham on my team any day. Now, I know he struggled with inconsistency in terms of drops. But again, I think last year he was under the radar for the most part compared to where he was with New York. Maybe he was outside the media spotlight. But I don't think Odell Beckham was as outspoken as a lot of people say he was. I don't think he was a disruption to that locker room. And I think part of the uh, lack of success does come on Baker Mayfield. I mean, I think Jarvis Landry and that group took a step back. They allowed Baker Mayfield to take the reins and take that program as the leader. He failed to do that. That part of it is Kitchen's fault. But the other part is Baker Mayfield's fault for not stepping up in
4: terms of maturity. George. Same question to you, Odell's best days. Even if Joe's top three is aggressive, do you think Odell's best days, or so, salad days are still upon him?
5: Well, the top three is definitely aggressive. Adams, Hopkins, Michael Thomas. Just off the top of my head, I'll, I'll take those three. Or Odell. Um, he's only, you know, he, it seems like he's so much older than he is. He's I only. it does I just had like to check that. I to do a double, wow. He's only Because he's in the
4: news all the time.
5: Yeah, that is why. he seems like he's been around forever. He's only 27. Uh, Do I think it's – I mean, yeah, I don't want to say I feel bad for – I don't know if I feel bad for any professional athlete. But, you know, he had Eli, and Eli really wasn't all that great. You know, a lot of wobbly passes, this and that. Now he's going to Baker Mayfield, and Mayfield was still waiting for him to turn around. He hasn't played with an Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. You know, so you might feel something for him there. Do I think he's going to reach what he did in the Giants? 1,300 yards, 1,400 yards, 13 again? 12 touchdowns, 13, 10. So he'd have to do better than that? No. I don't know. I don't think I can give him that. Only because also Cleveland has such a good run game. They don't need him to do that. You know, I, I, could, I could see him doing better than he did the last couple of years. Like I said, I think in that 1,200 range, you know, seven, eight touchdowns, cause I think that's what they're looking for him to be. But I also think the injuries have added up. He doesn't have that same explosiveness. And I also don't think he's going to stay healthy. He played through the injury last year. That's great. But you were still injured. You were injured the year before. You were injured the year before that. That's three year, three straight years of injuries. I don't think that changes.
4: Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's it for the Browns from now. Real quick story, just a couple of minutes left in uh, on the Lions. So you see this tweet here uh, from Jennifer Hammond of Fox 2. Uh, for decades, the NFL has been the epitome of a man's world, but history is being made as Martha Ford becomes the first female owner to hand the reins over to her daughter. So uh, earlier this week, Martha Ford, aged 94, has decided to step aside as controlling owner of the team. She's chairman emeritus. It's not like the the Ford family is selling this team ever, George, but interesting that we have uh, a female owner that is going to be passing from one generation to the next, and uh, she'll be the controlling owner from here on out
5: i guess the first thing that comes to mind i hope we get to a point where this is not news yeah like one female hands it to another female especially with the father of two young daughters uh it wasn't really news to me i didn't care other than the fact that the uh owner was stepping down you know i do want when i think about this does the uh, the daughter now have different philosophy is this more p- pressure on patricia or is it less does she care you know not everybody every cares about how owning a sports franchise yeah, you know, we've seen that. Once again, you bring, bring it back to the Yankees. Originally, Hal Steinbrenner didn't want to control the Yankees. Hank was going to control the Yankees, but he was towards like his father and blew it up. So Hal yeah. took over. So yeah. I, I wonder how that's going to affect the team on the field more than anything else.
4: Yeah, Sheila Ford-Hamp is uh, the now the controlling owner of the Detroit Lions. Joe, any thoughts on the Lions real quick? 30 seconds.
2: I think they're a team that needs to win immediately, right? Matt Could be on the outside looking in. I mean, we'll see how it plays. I don't have any problem with that. I think it's great for college
1: and pro football.
3: Game time decisions.
1: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
3: savings products insured by NCUA investment products are not insured not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value
6: are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. with an uplifting scent that smells like coconut Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
4: All right, folks. Closing out this hour of Football Full Circle with Joe and George and Mike Blewett. Uh, So a couple of pieces of news here in Rappaport reporting that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell say they're getting ready for games at our stadiums and to engage our fans, both in stadiums and through our media partners. He's still couching it, Joe. He's saying that we're going to have fans. It's not going to be one size fits all. We're going to adjust based on the conditions of the city, stadium, the team at the time. And it's the right way to go about it. George and I are sort of on the same page saying, They don't really have to make any rules yet. They have a couple of months, really, to start figuring out, putting plans in place, and then uh, uh, releasing the plan right before the season. The
2: NFL is in the driver's seat, right? We're going to see uh, MLB, NBA, and NHL uh, start within the next month or so. so Yeah, but no fans. Hopefully, right? We'll see Mm -hmm. how it plays out. But it could be virtual. They did that with the draft, right? They had a virtual (laughs) draft. But okay. fans in the background, there's always that to fall back on, Mike. We don't know exactly what they will do. I mean, best-case scenario, I mean, would be, I think, 60 to 70%. I can't see 100% capacity in the even in the NFL just because of where we stand with positive tests in the collegiate level and in other professional sports. But, you know, the NFL will be the leader, make no mistake about it, about getting as much fans in attendance as possible.
4: Yeah, pro and college football, I suppose, George. But again, not one size fits all. They're gonna, they're gonna kick this around for the next two months before they make any, uh, release any, pl- concrete plans as to what they're going to do. And it could change, frankly, throughout the course of the season.
5: Yeah, you know, I uh, talked with uh, Gabe earlier uh, in the week about the same topic here. Uh, now, certainly, the NFL is. I, I think Mike, you've said this on an earlier show as well. The NFL is not going to tell any team, no, don't put fans in. They're going to want the money. They're going to want the paying fans, the concessions, the parking, everything we brought up earlier. They're going to want that. But I wonder this. The NFL, what was going on during the training camp? Some teams could have it, some teams couldn't. No, 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 no. We're not going to open a training camp until every team can open it up. We want to be fair. But it's funny. But you're going to allow some teams to have 30,000 fans, some teams to have 5,000, some teams to have none. So teams that have 30, aren't they going to have a bigger home field advantage than the other teams? I they're not going to turn down the money, but I just find it funny how they're going to no rev
4: share that money too. You think? George, uh, that's right?
5: that's what I think. I think I wonder. That's the next question: Will they revenue share it? You know, let's you say on a, you know week one of the season, combined with all the sixteen arenas, they get two hundred thousand fans. Whatever number you want to throw out, they want to make it a million, make it a million. Are they going to share that with all thirty-two teams? If the owners I would,
4: can't, I mean, the the NFL is actually it's it's the most revenue shared league. Now, the one piece that they don't like to revenue share is their home gate. Um, part of it is always revenue shared with the players, but for the most part, the pl- the owners can make a lot more money from the in stadium experience. Yes. Um, but well, you we'll have charge to charge
5: you $12 for a bottle of water. Yeah, you're going to do pretty well.
4: Yeah, yeah. So uh, another piece of news from Adam Schefter. ESPN Insider. NFL owners approved a proposal today to cover the seats closest to the field, then place sponsor logos over those seat coverings. This was a no-brainer. I think I talked about this three months ago, George, when we thought there might not be any fans there. That is a layup. I'm surprised, frankly. Look, there, there's a, there's stadiums that have tons of sponsorships all over it. I know when the Niners opened up Levi's Stadium, they had as many as 70 different sponsors in different parts of parking lots and stadiums. And there was questions as to whether or not that even made sense. But uh, this is kind of a layup. Uh, without the fans there, they can at least make a little bit of money back on sponsorships, Joe.
2: Well, I was going to bring up this, Mike. We saw that, you know, in terms of sponsorships, and I agree. I mean, that's that's a great, you know, out-of-the-box type of uh, scenario for the NFL. How about this in terms of sponsorship? We saw the the sponsorship with the practice jerseys of having logos uh, from certain companies on there. Does that creep its way back into the picture in terms of, you know, on the helmet or on the jersey for the NFL to recoup some of the revenue if they can't have fans in the stands so, I mean, I think that's a possibility as well. They were against it. Do they more apt this year as opposed to, you know, in, in, in the coming years?
4: George, interesting. What do you think of that?
5: Well, it's funny. It's funny you should bring that up, Joe. That was, I was going to bring that up, that same thing. Because <laughs> uh, in baseball, they were going to do that. If they could have, could have come to an agreement, the union was going to allow the owners to sell whatever patches on the uniform. Personally, I hate it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to see any sports uniform look like a NASCAR. You know, the car, the decals all over the place. Or
4: it's even it's not a crazy in the NBA, though. It's pretty subtle. I mean, it's it's but
5: obvious. If it's, Mike, but it's like a it's little thing subtle. about yo big. Yeah. You know, a little small thing. I'm okay with it. You know, but if it's, it's going to have the ten patches on to make as much money as possible, which is what's going to happen eventually, then, right? It'll happen it'll be that way eventually. Yeah. It's so
4: Pandora's that, box.
5: That would be annoying, but I also find it interesting, probably more in baseball than football. You know, in baseball, the pitcher can't have anything, like white, other than his uniform. You have a white glove; they take that away. You got the anything that's you know distracting as far as a necklace, gone. Well, wouldn't those pads be a little distracting? You know, if you had, had ten of them on, so I wonder about that too. Uh, I think what Joe brings up that was valid. These football owners, really any sports owner, they look for any any way to make money. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is coming. What I don't know about football, where like I said in baseball, the union would have had to agree to it. I assume it's the same in football where the union would have to agree to it. So I think that'll be an interesting negotiation, negotiating point as well.
4: It's just surprised they haven't already done this from a virtual standpoint. They find other ways to sort of infuse sponsor sh- sponsors into the broadcast. But you could always have, instead of looking at fans on the on the wide shot, when you're looking at the, it's not an all-22 camera, but when you're looking at the wide shot, it's, it wouldn't be a problem technologically to have a sponsor uh, laid over the fans that are in the background. It's like, like you can make them out. You can just do that from a from a virtual standpoint, lay that over like we do graphics on a screen. It's not really not that hard. I'm surprised they haven't uh, done that in some instances already. But in any event, so that's the two pieces of business there. I want to get to some props since we have a little bit extra time here. And I wanted to get to most regular season passing yards. So this is one that you could say the obvious is Pat Mahomes because Pat Mahomes plays a full season. Pat Mahomes is going to have the most. But uh, I'm not going to be in love with these types of props this year just because of the variable nature of the number of games that these players may play. But if you're asking me who I like as a bet down the board a little bit, I like Kyler Murray. I've been on this bandwagon a lot. I think they're going to throw the ball a lot. Kyler Murray's at plus 2,500 to, to let everybody else know what the odds are. You got Pat Mahomes at plus 450, Dak Prescott at plus 650, Matt Ryan plus 800. That's a pretty good bet. They're going to throw the ball a lot short. Phil Rivers at plus 850, Tom Brady plus 950, Jared Goff plus 1100, Matt Stafford plus 1200. That's interesting coming off last year when he was having a really good season. Roethlisberger plus 1300, Drew Brees plus 1300, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, blah, blah, blah. So of that group. If I didn't mention it, throw it out there, but of that group, uh, Joe Lisi, I'll go to you first. Who do you like most passing yards in the league?
2: I like Deshaun Watson, and we broke it down earlier a couple of shows ago because of the the not the big wide receiver, right? They lose DeAndre Hopkins. Now he's got almost like a Texas Tech-style type of offense in terms of wide receivers. Plus 2,200,
4: five, by the way, for him.
2: Uh, right, so five wide. I think he's going to chuck it. I, I really like Deshaun Watson to put up solid numbers this year because of the style of offense. I think without a big play wide receiver and his primary target, he's going to have to spread the football around. They still have Duke Johnson, who's a complimentary back to catch the football out of the
4: backfield. I think at plus 2,200, he's a solid pick in my opinion. Sure, it's a pretty good call. We have talked about that in terms of the Texans. We don't know if their defense is going to hold up. We don't think they're going to play conservative. I think they're going to throw a lot. I don't think David Johnson is going to work out to the extent that you think he is, and while all of those receivers are injury prone, these guys are capable. They have a relatively deep receiving core. So, Deshaun Watson, an interesting call. Kyler Murray down the board a little bit at plus twenty five hundred. I like it. How about you?
5: I certainly don't mind. It. I don't mind Kyler Murray either. Uh, I think. Listen, I think Ben Roethlisberger. You're looking for teams that have so-so running games. You know, uh, actually, you'd prefer a team to have a, a bad defense, too, so they're behind the games, you got to throw the ball, right? Steelers don't have that. That one thing that knocks them out. But one thing I'll say now is it's going to be tough. But listen, most of us would know Mahomes is probably going to do He plays all 16 games, but this virus is going to keep taking people away. You know, if, well you know eh, Mahomes, uh, no Terry Kill, no Kelsey this week. and eh, you don't have this guy either. He'll take away two offensive linemen due to COVID. It's going to be like this all season long where you're going to see six guys out due to COVID. You know, so I, that's worrisome here. But I'll, I'll be looking at guys once again. I, I don't mind Deshaun Watson, but that receiving score, uh, that receiving corps scares me. They're already injury prone, and they might lose guys to COVID eventually. I don't think I'm going to be able to bet on him. Listen, Tom Brady and uh, Tampa Bay, once again, not much of a running game there. They're going to want to throw the ball a lot. Can't go with Dak because Dak, the Cowboys can run the game, uh, can run the ball. Can't go with someone like Carson Wentz, same Stafford. problem there. Stafford, I'm just looking at him now. Stavret's an interesting guy for a kind of interesting. You can get a good price, but they got a decent running game there. But they should be trailing, should be trailing. So I think I might go with him. You're Matt Ryan, also. I like there. Same thing. Can't they're gonna play a lot of good teams? Top of the board.
4: Top of the board. Damn if run. I'm not gonna pick the favorite, I'm going Matt Ryan. He's plus eight to one. I just think he's going to be throwing it a ton. Uh, you know, he was right there last year near 5,000 yards. I think that's possible again. So let's get to some other props. Can I get
2: one more, guys? Yeah, How about Drew Locke? It. Drew Locke with Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. I mean, Noah Fant, that's a pretty good, you know, combo right there. And he's got a strong arm.
4: Yeah, I— I just don't see him leading the league. The leader, I think
5: league.
4: I, I think there could be other props for him that you could be positive on. Like uh, I'll look for, I'll see if I can find. What was the last any,
5: time a first year starter led the league?
4: That's I
5: tough.
4: Mean, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, a couple
5: of years, I'll, I might be on this.
4: Yeah. Well, let me let me throw out a couple of other ones here. Then uh, uh, props that we have of guys that I want to get. I want to throw out there yardage total and see what you guys think. Can they surpass this regular season total passing yards? And again, this is assuming a 16 um, a sixteen game season. So you got Sam Darnold here, 3,549 and a half yards. Last year, to give you a sense of what uh, Sam Darnold did, the Jets offense, Sam Darnold specifically in 13 games, threw for 3,024 yards. So you attack three more games on there he needs another 525 yards. What do you say, George?
5: My, the thing that comes out to me is no. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a big Sam. I'm doing the math now here. That's 222 yards again. You're not asking much in today's NFL. Division is so-so. I'm gonna still go under. I'll go under. Jeez.
4: you have you're no out. Of Darn- I have no faith in Sam. So you're done with Darnold. So how about you, Joe?
2: I'm under as well.
4: One word, geese. That's oh, enough for me. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're you're tainted. You're a Dolphins fan. You're tainted with that. I, I, I'm a believer in Sam. I, I, I get all the negativity potentially surrounding it. I think the Jets did actually a nice job through free agency and the draft acquiring players. Doesn't mean it all gets fixed this year. But I'm feeling positive about the Jets being better, even though George and I both agree – uh, I think their win total takes it on the chin. I think they're flat. or Tough schedule. Uh, done. Yeah, it's a tough schedule this year for them. So I think if you're a Jets fan, you're not, you're not going to be feeling bullish by the end of the year, even if the team looks a little bit better. So that's it. That's all we had time for. We'll do some more props next time. Joe, thanks for joining us this week. As always, we'll be back next week to talk more college and pro football. Again, he's the co-host of College Football Today. On behalf of Brian Rakowski, George Kurtz, and Joe Lisi, I'm Mike Blewett. We'll see you next time on The Grid.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
6: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
4: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
0: A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
4: Wait! Did we just invent California?
5: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.